like an animal, talks like an animal, must be an animal. Come here, the animal, talking animal, talking animal. Good morning. This is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Strauss, and my guest today is Gail Clifton, who wears multiple hats at the Sarasota Manatee Association for Riding Therapy, or SMART. For more than 25 years, SMART has provided riding therapy for disabled children and military veterans, often yielding the riders assorted physical, emotional, and cognitive benefits. There are more than 15 horses at SMART, but one who truly stands out is Magic a blind horse who uses echolocation to get around. We'll find out more about Smart and Magic when I speak with Gail Clifton in a few moments here on Talking Animals. Also later in the show, I'll have my brief conversation with Joe Zimmerman, a wonderfully bright and refreshing comedian with lots of great animal material. In the last several months, he's become my go-to guy in the comedy corner. He'll be performing at Side Splitters in Tampa tomorrow through Sunday. Lastly, a reminder that WMS Summer Membership Drive starts one week from tomorrow. Talking Animals have been assigned a humongous goal of raising $3,000, which, considering the show is 55 minutes long, will be a very tall task. In fact, the only way I have a chance of making it is by receiving some donations and pre-pledges early. Today, for example, please donate via the Talking Animals tip jar to make it easy. I just posted the link to the tip jar on the Talking Animals Facebook page and my personal Facebook page. As always, we'll have special exclusive thank you gifts for your support of this show, including the brand new Talking Animals t-shirt designed by artist extraordinaire Mike Beardsley, who created the last t-shirt, our logo, and other visually striking elements in the Talking Animals world. It's very cool. How often do you get Charles Darwin on a t-shirt? You can actually see the new t-shirt also by going to the Talking Animals Facebook page or my Facebook page. Other exclusive thank you gifts for donations of various amounts include a pair of amazing tickets to see Steely Dan and Elvis Costello and the Imposters and a discounted week-long stay at a Hawaiian condo. Email me during today's show at dj at wmnf.org if you'd like to know more about these gifts or to donate early. Thank you. Now, with a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing us at dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. Let's welcome Gail Clifton to Talking Animals. Good morning, Gail. Good morning, Duncan. Thank you so much for joining us on Talking Animals. Oh, thank you so much for for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Cool. Well, there's many, uh, there are so many things about SMART I'm eager to discuss with you, obviously very much including magic. But let's start, if we could, with uh, with your outlining a little bit of SMART's history and mission. Um, maybe you could just kind of give us the, the quick overview of, uh, of uh, the beginnings and some of the early years. Oh, sure. Uh, SMART's been around for 28 years. Um, it was started by a woman named Betsy London Fish, and she had a regular writing school, and one of her students had cerebral palsy. And she noticed from working with him what a difference it made in his life. And so she actually changed the whole mission of her program, started up the not-for-profit SMART, and, uh, and it went from there. Um, over the years, it has moved to various places, but it is, uh, we have finally landed in our own home here in uh, Bradenton, Florida, 
and uh, we have a beautiful 23-acre equestrian facility. Um, we, last year, we served 433 children and adults, who included veterans. Um, we work with uh, women who are um, in the human trafficking system. We work with uh, children that are at risk. Um, we have a program for women with breast cancer. Um, we have really uh, created a lot of outreach programs along with the program. So we're, we're growing and, and uh, trying to serve as many people as we possibly can. It sounds like uh, the numbers are big. And, and also, I think a lot of people would be surprised to know the, the range of folks that uh, are, are and can be helped by writing therapy. So we may, we may come back to that in a little more uh, detail. I know, um, you know you've been there many, many years, but not from the very beginning. Do you have uh, any sort of, uh, as part of smart lore, any sort of particular stories early on that obviously when Betsy saw what happened with the, with the, uh, the child with CP, that kind of changed everything. But were there some other stories early on that were pivotal triumphs of one kind or another that, that encouraged people to keep going and, and keep expanding and moving locations to, to where you landed at the current one? Yes. Um, well, we are lucky. We are mostly volunteer organizations still, and uh, we are really lucky to be able to see amazing things happen in people's lives. Um, one of our, our favorite stories that we love to tell is that um, we had a little girl start with our program, and at the time she was 13, and um, her mom called us up and said, you are kind of my last hope for finding something that will help my daughter. Um, she has really been told that she will never walk. She will always be in a wheelchair. She's 13, so she's, you know, getting into those teenage years, and she's very depressed. She's very angry. All she does is sit in front of the TV or in front of her computer. So I'm hoping that maybe this will be something that will, will help her. So um, she brought her daughter out, and um, we, have, we have a ramp so that we can, you know, take people that use wheelchairs up the ramp and then we can uh, transfer them from the chair to the horse. So she arrived, this little girl was all slumped over in her chair, her hair was hanging on her face, she wouldn't make eye contact with anyone. She had been angry at her mom all the way there. Um, we got her there, rolled her up the ramp, got her on the horse right away, and immediately you could see there was a change. Her head lifted up. There was a smile on her face. She started to giggle, and um, so we, we went from there. And, and really, we could only, because she had no core strength from sitting in the chair all the time, um, she really couldn't take more than a couple of steps without kind of collapsing on her horse's neck. And, of course, we had two sidewalkers and a leader, so we would gently push her back up, um, and she would giggle, giggle, giggle the whole time. So we just grew on that, getting, you know, two steps and three steps until... We, we started doing some exercises to help her learn to push herself back up once she fell on the horse's neck so that she would start to develop that core strength. And over a period of time, and I'm talking several years, she got to where that she could independently ride at the walk on her horse, sitting up full in, in good posture and steering her horse independently. Um, during that time, her physical therapist also noticed that she was getting more flexibility in her hips and her legs and more strength throughout her whole body. So they changed her goals and um, uh, created goals for her to learn to walk with uh, a walker. And these are physical therapists who had said, you know, she'll be in a wheelchair her whole life. So there was a, a huge change there. And, and several years later, when she graduated from high school, she walked across the stage with her walker. And her physical therapists are, are still to this day saying it was the writing therapy that allowed all of that to start to happen. 
husband. And she still rides with us. She's in her 20s now. She still comes once a week, um, and she rides with us, and she's always eager to tell us that she walked twice around the block that week. That is great, and again, speaks uh, to the sort of transformative, I mean, there's therapeutic, which is what you guys do on every day, but in this case, they're, they're beyond that, they're sort of the transformative experience, which uh, I'm sure right. at that graduation, there weren't too many dry eyes as, oh. as she walked across to get her uh, diploma. Not a dry eye in the house. Yeah. Anymore. In outlining uh, things, you really mentioned a number of programs, but when along the way did the SMART program widen out to additionally serve veterans? We, we opened up the program to, to veterans about six or seven years ago. And uh, initially we opened it up to veterans who had served in Iraq and Af- Afghanistan. Um, and, and didn't get a lot of response from that. Um, and then I worked with uh, another woman in our area, Linda Craig, with uh, Minnesota Operation Troop Support. And she mentioned to me that if we opened up the program to the families of veterans, that would be a good way to get the veterans out here. So uh, we started offering our program to children and spouses of veterans. And that, in turn, did get you know, mom and dad out, and they'd see their kids ride, and then they joined in. So it became a family um, activity. And it was, it was, we saw lots of benefits to our, our veterans who participated at that time. Um, since then, we've kind of phased that program out a little bit, and we have started working with Bay Pines VA. And they bring a group of veterans out once a month. Um, all these veterans are dealing with PTSD. And so they come out once a month, the third Thursday of every month, and they participate in a day-long workshop. This is not horseback riding, therapeutic horseback riding. It's all groundwork. So they're doing um, interactive activities with the horses um, and dealing with a lot of their issues, their issues of fear, their issues of confidence, uh, boundaries, respect, empathy, um, all of those kinds of issues uh, are dealt with in the activities that we do with the horses in and, the groundwork. And Gail, uh, I understand the, this isn't uh, the the riding therapy side, but how uh, how does the interacting with the horses seem to to serve those veterans that are uh, experiencing PTSD? Um, well, I can tell you a story. Okay. Um, the one of the last sessions we had, uh, one of the guys who came out, uh, you can you can see that these men and women are are all dealing with a lot just from their body language, their posture, um, their isolation, even in the group. There will be, you know, anywhere from 8 to 15 men and women here. And initially when they come in, they're kind of all sitting in their own spaces, even if they know each other. Um, and they're, you can just tell they're wrapped a little bit tight. And uh, so one of the one of the gentlemen said that um, he had actually lived at Bay Pines for three years on, on site, that he had not been off site in three years. The only time he left his house was to go to the doctor and back. So this was a real push for him and that he would probably spend the rest of the day in the van and to not worry about him, he'd be fine as long as he was enclosed in the van. And so we, they, they do come with a therapist from Bay Pines, so we do have that support. Um, but to his credit, he stayed out the whole time. He participated in every activity. As the day goes on, you can see all of these veterans start to relax more. They start to smile more. They start to communicate with each other more. Um, and the, most of them are dealing with fear issues. They've not been around horses before. Horses are big animals. They make lots of noise in the barn sometimes. Um, so, you know, with the PTSD, there's a lot of reaction to noise and sensory issues. So there's a lot of that going on. But because of the magnificence of horses and their gentle spirit and their willingness to just be quiet 
with these men and women, it just opens up all kinds of doors. And these these veterans become more confident. You can see they become more comfortable. Um, they become more appreciative, and they become more empathetic, not just of these wonderful horses, but of each other and of themselves. And again, from what you said, it sounds like that then spreads throughout the the family to typically attend those exactly. sessions as well. That's great. This is talking. And at the end of the session, we hear from every single one of them, and every single one of them. At the end of the day, each they everybody goes around and kind of does a little wrap up, and every one of them says, "This was the best day of my life in years and years. For the first time, I feel at peace." For us to be able to bring that to them is such an honor. For us, yeah, really. again, so powerful and, and back to the transformative power of, of animals and, and obviously these horses for, for their normal gigs. I'm probably a little more maybe attuned to, to people with a struggle of one kind or another, but probably particularly sounds like sensitive to to these uh, these veterans with PTSD and sort of uh, what, what they what they need. And it uh, just sounds like it's uh, an amazing connection that's uh, that's yes. made. Yeah. This is Talking Animals. If you just tuned in, my guest is Gail Clifton of the Sarasota Manatee Association, uh, writing uh, therapy, or SMART, which provides writing therapy for disabled children and military veterans, including help from a blind horse named Magic that we'll hear about in a moment or two. If you'd like to ask Gail a question or offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. So, Gail, let's find out a little bit about your story. You've been volunteering... uh, with Smart for about 18 years, if I'm not mistaken, uh, during which you've, you've worn a number of, uh, of hats. How did you uh, get started there? What, what prompted your initial involvement? Well, I started off just as a, a Saturday volunteer. I, I came from, I, I grew up with horses. I got my first horse when I was eight, and I was in the horse industry for many years in different areas of that, um, and then had kind of gone into another area of my life. And then um, you know, once horses are in your blood, they're always in your blood. So um, when I was, I had a job here when I moved to Florida, and there was a lot of downtime. So I picked up the phone. I called the local United Way and asked if there was a riding therapy program around. So that's how I got involved with SMART. And I just started off as a Saturday volunteer, and then mm, I got pulled in a little bit more and a little bit more over the years. And um, and then at, at one point, they needed someone to step up as the executive director. And we were very small, not-for-profit, especially back then, and didn't have funding for, for a you know, salaried position for anyone. So um, even though I didn't have much experience in the not-for-profit world, I did have experience in the horse world. So I, I did step in and... Um, I have been. I was the volunteer executive director for 11 years, and uh, during that time, I was really honored to work with outstanding human beings who all volunteered their time. You know, it does take a village to run a volunteer organization, and I, I was very honored to be surrounded by awesome people who helped to bring this organization to the next level, which is where we are now. We just hired our first awesome executive director, and so I have been happily able to step back and retire. Uh, but still be involved with SMART. I'm an I'm, uh, instructor, and uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to getting just back to the barn and working with the horses and the kids. Well, I just can't let that pass, though, because, I mean, for, for many years, I've been talking with people from all kinds of organizations. This includes a lot of leaders of those organizations, directors, executive directors, and the like. And those jobs are often immensely challenging and, and sometimes thankless. So I was really struck by the news that you were the volunteer executive director of SMART, and for 11 years, no less. I mean, can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, including to what extent you envisioned the, the, the stint lasting that long? 
I'd never expected it to last that long, okay. no. Yeah. Um, luckily, I have support at home. I have a good man at home who was willing to uh, uh, keep dinner on the table and keep the roof over my head, and that allowed me to be able to do that as a volunteer. Um, I learned so much. You know, I learned how to write grants, and I learned how to approach donors, and I learned how to manage a, a not-for-profit business. So it was an extremely growthful experience for me, for which I'm very, very grateful. Um, I was lucky to be able to do that, you know, truly lucky. But I'm also thrilled that we have grown to the point that we can move, you know, to a, the next level. Again, I, I could not have done it without a, a whole army of volunteers, you know, who had my back all the time. Well, you know, I understand that, that you were grateful for the experience, but I can only imagine how grateful the, uh, the whole smart contingent was uh, for that kind of leadership and, and time and energy and resources uh, for that many years in a, in a volunteer position. So, yeah, I'm sure they, I'm sure they re- realize how uh, lucky they, they are. But, they uh, have been very, very supportive and grateful for sure. Sure. All right. So, so it's magic time. Let's talk about the horse who I think it's safe to say uh, projects probably a, a singular presence at Smart. Yes. First, um, how did he? Uh, how did Magic lose his sight? Uh, magic belonged to uh, uh, Jody Lynn McBrien. Um, she had him for ten years. She bought him when she found him as a, a young horse who had been kind of abused and abandoned, um, and she decided to take him in. When she bought him, um, he already had a really bad eye infection. So she worked with the vets for a couple of years, I believe, and tried to get it healed up, but it just, he was going blind. So during that time, she basically taught him how to be in the world without sight. Um, the vets, of course, told her since he was going to lose vision in both eyes that he should be put down. Um, but she just refused to go down that path. So she taught him how to live in the world without his eyesight. So by the time he did lose his total eyesight, he was pretty comfortable. She had, When she would ride him, she would use voice commands. She lived in Atlanta, so there are lots of hills. So if she was going up a hill, she would just raise her hands a little bit and say, up, 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 so he would learn to pick his feet up higher. Or opposite, if she was going down a hill, she used lots of different voice commands to help him through that. And then, of course, during that time, I, I personally believe he developed echolocation. Um, if you ride him now, you can put him on the buckle, ride through the woods, and if there's a log in the way, before you pick up your reins, he will start to shift off to one side or the other because he can feel or hear that you know log in the road. So he's, he's learned to adapt very well um, and um, exists in the world. It, you know, pretty happily and safely. That's so amazing in so many ways. I mean, a blind horse would otherwise, of course, seem to be destined for a very tough go. I mean, just at the most basic level of survival and, and the constant risk of injury. And then mm-hmm. depending on where he or she were living, you know, shunned by the herd. And uh, mm-hmm. so it's amazing. Uh, obviously, a great uh, work and, and sort of anticipation and um, by, by Jody as he, I guess, was, as Magic was going blind. And then can you talk a little bit more about, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening are familiar with echolocation, but probably not as it pertains to a horse. Can you just describe a little bit more about what that really is or means and then how, how Magic seems to have uh, developed this, uh, this ability? Well, the way, the way I perceive it, um, which may not have any kind of scientific basis, um, is that if, you're, if, if say we're in the arena and there's, there are two barrels in the arena, if you start to ride him on the buckle on a long rein toward that barrel, before he gets to the barrel, he starts to shift left or right. 
to get around the barrel. His head will come up. It looks like he's looking at it, um, but he, his head will come up. His whole presence will get a little bigger, and he'll shift left or right. So I believe he's hearing his footfalls hit that barrel, come back to his ears, and let him know there's something in front of him um, so that he knows to move left or right. He's not ever, we don't turn him out in the field with a herd of horses. He's in a very protected area. He has his stall. He has a buddy, Mr. K. Um, They live together. They have a big paddock area, um, and he knows the boundaries of his paddock. There's a a big shade tree in the middle. He knows exactly where that is. He walks in and out of his stall without bumping into anything. We never see him bump into anything, Um, so he's definitely developed some way of knowing what is in his environment. If we take him to a new place and have to turn him out in a new paddock, which we have done, we walk around the periphery of the paddock and tap on the board all the way around. Then we come back around the other way and tap on the board all the way around, and then he's perfectly fine where his space is. That's pretty amazing. And a significant sub-player sub in this uh, in this drama. But, but Mr. K, I mean, I assume probably provides some critical assistance and support for, for Magic. He does. Um, Really, the only thing that uh, causes any kind of fear in magic that we can perceive is uh, thunderstorms, lightning, fireworks, anything that's going to be booming and banging. Um, Unfortunately, we live very close to a racetrack, so they have fireworks frequently. And, um, And then we live in Florida, so we have thunderstorms every evening this time of year. So generally what we see is when the thunderstorms start to move in, um, Magic and Mr. K will move into a stall. They have stalls that they can be in together, really big stalls. And um, and usually uh, Mr. K will kind of stand up really close to him, even kind of push him into the wall a little bit to give him that support and that boundary. Um, so, yeah, this whole role in his life as far as being his safety net i think truly amazing and and again just what what animals can do and what they can do for each other is um it's uh, well it's part of why you do what you do and why I, i'm always interested in talking uh, with people like you and others on, on the show because there's just uh, always a new story that you think wow how is that uh, how is that possible because i'm sure most people listening you know know that echolocation is is typically used by dolphins or bats or whatever right. but um doesn't come up a lot in horses typically so um it really interesting so what what sort of impact does magic have when working with the kids there and i and i'm going to guess he probably also works with the veterans and maybe some of the other uh, folks that are in part of other programs at smart yes well uh, magic is a really really beautiful big quarter horse and um he has an obvious disability so he really was a perfect fit for our program when we decided to accept him into our program um the kids see him and they see, wow, here's this horse that has no eyes. He's obviously got a disability, and yet he has a job. He is extremely loved. Um, he is very loving, and, you know, he has a worthwhile life. He wasn't discarded. He wasn't thrown away. He's not looked down on. We all, everybody looks up to this horse. So the overall message to everyone in our program is a positive message, you know, an uplifting message. So he's been a huge asset to our program just in that regard. Um, as far we use him a lot with our veterans program, um, again, for the same reason. You know, these men and women can see this horse who obviously has his own challenges in the world, and yet he's so brave. And he, you know, goes about his day in a regular sort of way and deals with what comes along. So, again, the overall message there. And he's an extremely gentle horse. He loves attention. Um, and when, whether it's a kid or, or a veteran, um, who's coming up, he's just so gentle and so quiet and so sweet with them. 
that, you know, it's hard to not be moved by his spirit. So when a, a kid or, or a veteran, for that matter, is responding to time with, with magic, what, is that, what does that look like? I mean, describe some of the sort of more observable changes or impact that, that time with magic seems to uh, create. One of the interesting um, activities we do uh, with our veterans group is when they first get here, their very first contact with a horse is they, they're given a piece of paper. They're given four pieces of paper. And we have four horses in stalls in the barn. And um, they're asked to go and just stand in front of the stall, not talk, not make contact with the horse, but just stand in front of the stall and see what kind of feeling or what words come up or they can draw something on the paper, you know, just whatever comes up. And this is an activity I didn't really think a lot of men and women will participate in, but they all do. They all do, and they, they do amazing things. But what we've seen repeatedly, we always have magic up. Um, what we see repeatedly with him is they'll stand in front of his stall, and then when they, when they all come out, they talk about it. Most of them do not notice that he doesn't have eyes, and almost all of them will say when they were standing in front of that stall, they felt like this horse was really brave or courageous, that he had faced some kind of challenge in his life that was really difficult to get over. It's so interesting to us that, that you know, someone who doesn't know anything about horses or anything about anything, you know, can stand in front of his stall, and frequently that is the, the, the feedback that they get. And then when we say, you know, after everyone has shared, sometimes someone will say, well, did you notice he didn't have eyes? And everybody will be like, you're kidding, and then they all have to run back in the barn and look to see that he didn't, he doesn't have eyes. So, um, so yeah, it's, and then, of course, when they get to, you know, be hands-on, usually we'll have magic in the round pen, um, and then they'll get to go in one at a time, and we talk a lot about boundaries, you know, personal boundaries, and boundaries of other beings, whether it's another person or another horse, how to feel that boundary when it's safe to go in, when it's not safe to go in, um, when it, you know, when you're invited in. Um, and so they work a lot with that activity in the round pen. And with magic, it's a perfect activity because he can't see them. So they really have to pay attention to body language and, you know, really looking at the horse. And then, so then when they feel like they're invited to into his space, it's a it's a pretty moving thing. And in some cases, it would seem like it might work the other way because I know some of the kids that are there in those programs are autistic. And for some, at least, I know eye contact is is an issue. So it's interesting from what you're saying. It sounds like even maybe they don't necessarily realize that, that magic doesn't have eyes, but I, I thought maybe I even read this in, in something or another about smart, that they respond, or some of them at least maybe do, who, who aren't particularly comfortable with eye contact, in part because there isn't eye contact to be exactly. made. Exactly. We see that so much with the kids with autism. They will, you know, they'll come into the bar and they'll never make eye contact with us, you know, no matter how long we've known them. Um, but magic, they just, he just draws them in and they make eye contact with him, I think, because he doesn't have eyes. They're fascinated with the fact that, you know, he has sockets. They're sewn closed, um, and he still has a blink reflex there. So they're, they are just utterly fascinated that he doesn't have eyes. So they will walk right up to him and look at his face and look at his eyes um, that aren't there, you know. Um, so it is, it's really interesting. That's probably the first eye contact they make with just about anybody. Interesting. Uh, I'm Duncan Strauss. I'm speaking with Gail Clifton, who for the better part of 20 years has been involved with uh, various capacities with the Sarasota Manatee Association Writing Therapy, or SMART, which provides writing therapy for disabled children, military veterans, and others. To uh, join the conversation, please call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. Let's 
let's get a couple callers uh, involved here. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Gail Clifton. Hello, it's you. Hello, I can hear you in the background. We got to move on if uh, if we can't uh, jump in here. Okay. Somebody else. Hi, you're on uh, Talking Animals with Gail Clifton. Okay, cool. My name is Ray Clark. Um, I didn't know this was your the DJ number, you know, and I would be talking live on the road. I'm the uh, a member of the LOTP band, Life of the Party. I'm oh, okay. Also- well, yeah, maybe you could call back our office number then. Sorry. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, we're sort of in the midst of an interview. Uh, but uh, but thank you. Uh, Gail, Magic also plays, if I'm not mistaken, a central role in, in the horse uh, horse sense, I guess it's called, literacy program. Uh, uh, first of all, I love the notion of a blind horse helping kids become interested in reading, but can you sort of outline how that program works? Yeah. Yes. Um, his previous owner, Jody Lynn McBrien, wrote a book called Magic, One Smart Horse. And it's written at the uh, fourth, fifth grade level. Um, and it's, a, it's the story about when magic came to smart. And, and magic kind of tells his life story to KC, who, is, who has become his first friend and paddock mate. Um, and they tell each other their stories in the book. It's a great, great little book. She did a wonderful job writing it. And um, so after after we got the book, we decided to start a literacy program with it, and it's been very successful. We uh, target the local schools. It's a free program on our part. Um, we have a wonderful book benefactor, Phyllis Siskel. She buys the books for any any groups that are coming out, um, and it's a it's a two hour morning activity where they come out. They get to see magic, usually being ridden, um, and get to see how awesome he is. That what we do is we uh, deliver the books to the schools before they come out for their field trip. So they have a chance to read the book and learn all about Magic and Mr. K. So when they get here, they're all so excited. I mean, they are just screaming when they arrive on the bus, you know, when they see Magic out in the arena. And they're so excited to meet him. So they get to see him do a, a little demonstration, and then they all get to meet him and pet him and feed him treats. And then they get to meet Mr. K. And then we do other activities. We have a an activity in the uh, our trail arena where the kids uh, blindfold each other and then lead each other through the trail course so they can get the kind of a feel of what it must be like to be magic when he can't really see the trail course and he has to depend on the good leadership skills of his leader. So we talk a lot about leadership skills and trust and relationship, empathy and respect, all those things that go into building a good relationship with your horse, um, and especially if you have a horse that has some special needs. So it brings in the, for these kids who, these are all mainstream kids in, in regular schools, so it brings in that whole piece of, of learning about disability, you know, through the horse, but also relating it to, to human beings and their friends. Um, and again, we, you know, we just really, really focus on respect and empathy and compassion um, because it's such an important piece for all of our kids to be reminded of and, and cultivated in so that, you know, we have a, a more empathetic and compassionate world. That's great. Um, let's uh, let's take another caller. And uh, hi, you're on Talking Animals with Gail Clifton. Hi, um, I'm a uh, long-term volunteer at Pride Stables here in Ontario, Canada. Um, and there's one point I wanted to make, um, actually, which is that children in wheelchair always have to look up at everyone. And hello, hello, are you still there? Yes. Sorry. Go ahead. Please continue. Um, okay. Yes. Uh, Anyhow, for them to be up on the horse looking down at, at people, I think is really empowering. It makes them feel so much stronger. And then if they can learn to rein, um, they can actually have that horse uh, uh, do what they want. So that's just one point I wanted to make. Actually, yesterday I was 
I was leading a one-eyed horse with a child who was so profoundly disabled that she could only ride lying down on a blanket backward. And yet she was having fun. The last point I wanted to make is I think it's the best retirement in the world for an old horse because that's what most of ours are. They're old and slow and... um, but they get the best veterinary care in the world, and they get to hang out with their buddies in big fields all day, except to work for an hour sometimes. So I'll stop babbling. <laughs> no, those, those are uh, all wonderful and, and in some cases poignant observations, so I, I very much appreciate mm-hmm. your call. Thank you. Yeah, we were just so excited to hear about this stable, so thank you very much. Thank, thank you for your call. Gail, any, anything you want to respond to one or more of the comments our caller made? or. The, wonderful comments and we have we have often said that you know when you do take a child out of a wheelchair when they they live in a world where everyone is looking down on them whether it's you know physically looking down on them or psychologically looking down on them and you put them on a horse not only are they empowered by being above everyone but everyone that's looking at them is looking up at them you know for the first time in their life there everyone on the ground is looking up at them so it is it's a huge psychological boost for them, yeah, um, and very empowering for them. One of the reasons, you know, riding therapy is so powerful and effective. For sure. Well, Gail, we're sort of nearing the end of our time, but but the but the caller sort of prompted something that I definitely wanted to raise before we finish our conversation, regardless, which is, as you'd noted, Smart is is uh, volunteer powered and from top to bottom up till recently hiring the the executive director who stepped into your uh, volunteer shoes in that in that way. But uh, but what's involved for people listening who who much like the caller talked about uh, some her own experiences and you obviously talked about yours what's involved in becoming a, a volunteer at smart um give us a call um we have a, a short orientation that we have everyone go through which is basically just uh this is who we are this is what we do this is why we do what we do um and then we mentor you up with another volunteer there are all kinds of volunteer opportunities at all writing therapy programs all across the nation um, you can you can learn to lead and lead horses, sidewalk with our students, be a student assistant. Um, there are facilities work to do. There's administrative uh, work to do. There's fundraising work to do, as we all know, uh, with not-for-profits. That's a never-ending job. Um, there, for all writing therapy programs, there's so many wonderful volunteer opportunities. There's a place for everyone. Something that draws you. I mean, you have to you have to be willing to work. Um, and it's an outdoor job mostly, and sometimes the elements can be quite challenging, you know, with the heat and the, and the you know, the different weather activities. Um, but it is incredibly rewarding. I always say, and it has always been this way for me, it's my personal click. Um, you know, when I'm at home and the washing machine breaks and I think it's the end of the world, you know, and now I've got to call the repairman and, you know, it goes on and on. And then I come out here and see what our, our participants deal with and their families and their lives. I am so grateful for my life and so appreciative of, of being able to be involved in a program that helps so many people and, and brings quality to their lives. So it's it's a personal perspective check for me all the time and I think it is for most people that sure with us. well that's uh, probably the perfect really point at, uh, at which to leave it uh, let me just let folks know who might want to find out more including about volunteer opportunities the, the website is smartwriters.org and did you want to give a phone number uh, Gail when you said call sure. us uh, sure it's 941-322-2000 mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 
Okay, great. Well, we've been speaking with Gail Clifton of Sarasota Manatee Association for Writing Therapy, or SMART. And again, the website is smartwriters.org, and the phone number is 941-322-2000. Thank you so much, Gail, for joining us today on Talking Animals. Duncan, thank you so much for, for allowing us to have this opportunity. It's been Absolutely. a pleasure. All right, thanks again. All right, bye-bye. In a moment, I'll air my interview with Joe Zimmerman, our current king of animal comedy. A major fave is appearing in town here at Side Splitters tomorrow through Sunday. Not coincidentally, we're stepping into the Talking Animals Comedy Corner with a little sampling of Zimmerman's material. This is Joe Zimmerman with a snippet of a piece called Pet Snakes on today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals. I have a phobia of snakes. That's normal. It's weird that people have pet snakes when there's so many fluffy pet options available. <laughs> How does that go? You want the puppy? Wants to be your best friend. It's a rescue. Or you could get the cold-blooded reptile that's banging its head against the glass. Sure looks like it hates you. (laughs) It's the opposite of a rescue. It's an attack. It's it's actually what we rescued the rescue from, so... That's why we keep them separated. with bulletproof glass. Oh, you want more information on the limbless serpent? That surprises me. Um, Let's see. I know it has infrared vision like the predator monster. And it's been the symbol for evil since the beginning of time. Which seems like a red flag. That was Joe Zimmerman with part of a piece called Pet Snakes, taken from his album Smiling at Wolves. Zimmerman rolls into Tampa for an engagement at Side Splitters Thursday, tomorrow through Sunday. We'll have tickets to see him in a moment. Right now, we're going to talk with Joe Zimmerman. Recorded Monday, this is Joe Zimmerman on Talking Animals. Thanks for joining us today on Talking Animals, Joe. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Cool. So let's uh, let's get a quick uh, overview of the Joe Zimmerman story. Where, where are you from originally? I grew up in Morgantown, West Virginia. My mom... Uh, is a music professor at West Virginia University. And then what uh, what got you in the stand-up? Well, I went to Davidson College in North Carolina, and I played college golf. And just kind of by my senior year, I was itching to do something more creative because I was just kind of playing golf all the time and doing homework. Uh, so I was itching to do something creative. And around college, I don't remember how, but I remember people would always introduce me as like their funny friends, which is surprising to me because I don't, I don't do that now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I guess I get it out on stage now. But they would introduce me as their funny friends, so I was like, well, I don't want. I don't want an office job and I want to do something creative so maybe I'll just be a comedian so as soon as I graduated I just started doing open mics uh, around North Carolina doing comedy wow it sounds very sort of uh, casual like you just sort of said well here's this here's what I'm doing here's what I'm not doing let's do stand up yeah it's weird because I would never uh, my, if anybody asked me how to get into stand up now that would be the opposite of my advice. Yeah, don't do what I did. I would tell them, like, try it as a hobby for a little while, see if you like it, instead of just saying, hey, that's going to be my career. Yeah, it's a very unusual uh, path that you've taken, for sure. Yeah, but uh, 
I did the open mics and went back and forth on whether or not I liked it. And uh, eventually, I, I realized I did like it, so uh, I stuck with it. And so how many? How long have you been doing it at this point, Joe? Almost. It'll be 10 years in July. I'm sure you probably heard this. There's a kind of a rule of thumb, whether you're a stand-up performer or just sort of into the, you know, close to the scene in one capacity or another for many years, that it really takes about 10 years to get really, really good. And how does how does that conform with your own with your own experience or your assessment? Yeah, I've, I've always heard that. I remember starting out kind of being like, gosh, I wish I could just get to 10 years. <laughs> just skip over uh, six, seven, and eight. Yeah. It's frustrating. It's frustrating starting out to know that you're not very good, but that maybe someday you will be. Even along the way, aren't there those those nights where even in the earlier years where you think, wow, okay, I really, you know, I kind of hit a different level or I just came up with a new thing uh, that I love and uh, that's kind of propelling me to the next night and the next gig. Yeah, I, I could never I could never tell a difference on a night-to-night basis, but I, I would always notice each year that I had made significant progress. Yeah. When did the animal, When what was your first animal bit? And uh, kind of tell us how you got into uh, to that side of things. Yeah, I, uh, funny, my buddy, uh, I didn't even realize I had so many animal bits. And then my buddy was like, you should do a whole CD called Animal. Um, because I just kind of uh, naturally gravitated toward animals. I think my first bit was about grizzly bears, um, how uh, I watched some show on the Discovery Channel that said uh, scientists found that grizzly bears have a much stronger sense of smell than previously thought. (laughs) Okay. Up to a hundred times stronger than a bloodhound, and uh, and then I naturally my my natural thought was, well, why aren't the uh, police using bears instead of dogs <laughs> to fight crime? Right. And then uh, I went into my uh, bit about t- uh, crime fighting bears. Cool. And uh, what is it about animals? I mean, it sounds like you said a moment ago that that's sort of just a natural interest of yours. Do, do they just inherently amuse you? Do they interest you on a different level? I mean, why You know, why do you think you did end up with so much uh, animal material, which which continues to this day, obviously? I think it's because I, I, uh, I was thinking about it. I think it's, as a kid, I was definitely obsessed with animals. I wanted to be a National Geographic photographer who parked himself in the uh, Amazon rainforest and just photographed uh, the wildlife. Um, so I was always obsessed with animals as a kid and I collect I collect turtles and pet turtles and uh, frogs and toads. And um, I don't know, I always felt a natural bond. And do you find yourself kind of, uh, because of that, maybe thinking like an animal, like like sometimes adopting? Because part of what I think makes so many of your animal uh, pieces so great is is you either reflect or even in some cases adopt sort of their point of view. Oh, yeah, I do. I do feel a kinship with animals. I always feel like if I had a cause, it would be. I feel like the, the most painful thing for me is all the um, endangered species. So uh, I do feel this kinship and desire to protect animals. Um, but I don't know, yeah, I don't know where it came from exactly. Yeah, but it still continues, because one of the things, too, that uh, I liked is on the CD, you're you're doing a, a, a snake bit, and then uh, ways into it, you make some reference, almost sort of like self-deprecating, like uh, you'd think uh, this is all the snake material I have, but no, and then you continue. <laughs> and then, um, you know, not long ago, you're on Conan, which, again, was a great, great set, and uh, the core of it or, uh, was about crows and crow-related things. And 
And then similarly, you kind of at one point did an aside about uh, you'd think I wouldn't have any more crow material, but here, here here's some more. So I mean, but uh, it seems like to me, I mean, I you know, I think that's great. And but do you feel like, geez, okay, what what is it like? I get into a bit and and I keep going with it, or or is it just because hey, once I start thinking along these lines, I I just kind of naturally develop it, and and it and it's entertaining to you. Yeah, uh, once I once I find a topic that I really like, I kind of just keep. Uh, keep developing it, and then my my favorite kind of comedy is the kind of comedy that just keeps going on a, on a topic for a long time. But I found some people in the crowd like that, and other people in the crowd like it to change topics very rapidly. So I try to, if I'm doing a bit that goes for a while, I try to address the I try to address the people that <laughs> that are being concerned, like, hey, when is he going to switch uh, switch topics? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that way I. Yeah, that's funny. So, so for the people that will be seeing it, for example, uh, coming up the, the next few days at, at Side Splitters in, here in Tampa, you know, how much animal material in a like full length, forty five, sixty minute set, whatever you might be doing, would people expect? I would think this week, uh, <laughs> it's always. <laughs> I've retired a lot of the animal bit that I think you know, but... Oh, you're breaking my heart, Joe. Please say it ain't so, Joe. Jeez, yeah. I would say still probably... There'll still probably be at least 15 minutes. Oh, okay. Oh, that's great. Yeah, Yeah, because so far, the only chance I've had to see you live was was at the Moon Tower Comedy Festival when you were... uh, on a bill with uh, Maria Bamford, and the whole set of that. Now, again, that was not a full headlink set, uh, obviously, but there was no animal material. Material, but again, it was really wonderful. And and on a different radio show, I played your Andrew Jackson uh, um, bit and stuff. So so obviously, you cover a lot of ground. It just sounds like uh, <laughs> you know, an, animals are at least part of it. But I hope you, uh, I hope that some of that stuff isn't permanently retired that I've uh, that I've loved and played so much on on my show. So. Well, you know, it's funny. I because I, my last CD had so much animal stuff. This time, I was trying to uh, I was trying to actively do less animal material. But now, maybe uh, with your encouragement, I'm gonna keep doing it. All right. Well, you know, because I mean, you know, what that reminds me of is you do a lot of shows. I think also with Brian Regan, don't you? Don't you do some dates with him? Yeah. With Brian? Uh, yeah. Sometimes. Uh, yeah. Sometimes every couple of months, I'll get to open for him at his big uh, big theaters on the road. Yeah. Of course, he is awesome. But you know, his very first CD had a bunch of animals material and I thought geez okay Brian Regan and Joe Zimmerman on a bill I, I gotta start flying to these shows to see if I can catch any animal material but uh, anyway so uh, well Joe so uh, great uh, great speaking with you again you'll be at uh, Side Splitters from Thursday through uh, through Sunday that's right yeah I'm yeah. excited to be in Tampa cool alright well, well hopefully all kinds of Talking Animals fans will come out and see you and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you elsewhere and thanks for making the time to join us today on Talking Animals all right, thank you so much. Great to talk to you. All right, man. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Joe Zimmerman, starting tomorrow at Side Splitters, and they're through Sunday, and we'll uh, have some tickets to give away in a moment as part of the prize for uh, Name That Animal Tune. Meanwhile, coming up at 11 on WMNF, it's Rob Lorai and Radioactivity. Now rolling into the noon hour constitutes a full two hours of interviews, phone calls, news, and more. And again, as the prize for Name That Animal Tune, will be offering tickets to see Joe Zimmerman at, this, at Side Splitters. The shows I can have tickets for either tomorrow night, Thursday night, or Sunday night. So we'll get to that in a moment here. We'll just hit a couple of animal news and announcements. Things, time permitting. Pepal Animal Shelter is uh, hosting several yappy hours in St. Pete for May, June, and July. All, of course, are pet friendly. And uh, let's uh, mention a couple of those that are coming up, one of which is tomorrow, May 21st, 630 to 8 p.m. at Positively Posh Pooch, 1425 4th Street, North St. Pete. 
So there's all kinds of eats and drinks and fun, and uh, Pet Pal will have adoptable dogs, and of course you can bring your dog. And looking ahead a little bit, they'll do uh, the same thing at the same uh, time and place. June 4th, 6.30 to 8, Positively Posh Pooch. So those are something to look forward to. And I just want to follow up a story that we did a while back where uh, I'm just going to hit the follow-up. Um, authorities dropped charges against a veteran who broke a window to free a dog from a hot car. A prosecutor said Monday, Michael Hammonds, who fought in Iraq during the first Iraq war, jumped into action May 9th when he saw a dog inside of a rapidly heating Mustang at an Athens area shopping center. He broke the window of the car with a piece of his wife's wheelchair to free the dog. A group of shoppers had been worried about the Yorkie mix. Anyway, the uh, owner insisted that he would be arrested, and he was, but cooler and smarter, wiser heads obviously prevailed. So uh, that's all we're really going to probably have time for today. I'm Duncan Strauss. You're listening to Talking Animals. The show website is TalkingAnimals.net. It's time to proceed to name that animal tune. This is a giveaway, but please only participate if you haven't won something from WNF in the last 90 days. There'll be a prize. Again, those tickets to see Joe Zimmerman at Side Splitters either tomorrow night or Sunday night to the first person who calls 813-239- 9663 and correctly identifies this animal song. This week it's not technically an animal song, but a piece loosely identified with pets and other animals. It's named an animal tune on Talking Animals. take any guesses that uh, might come up off the air because we have just about reached the end of uh, today's edition of Talk Animals but we had to do a nod to uh, departing Dave Letterman and I won't even talk about that I've been uh, surprisingly emotional about his loss but anyways if you look at the way some of these uh, amazing performers have lost it on the air and uh, been in tears on the verge of tears uh, I guess it makes kind of a lot more sense anyway we are at the end of Talking Animals for today. It's Talking Animals on WMNF, Tampa, Brandon, Clearwater, Largo, Wikiwatchy, and Beyond, Community Conscious Radio. I'm Duncan Shaw. Thanks very much for listening. Have a good week. Be kind to animals. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. Hit our tip jar, will you? Again, the uh, link to our tip jar is on the Talking Animals Facebook page and my personal Facebook page. You can also see our brand new Talking Animals t-shirts. Very cool. Again, how often do you get Charles Darwin on a t-shirt? So uh, please help today if you can at all. And we'll be back next Wednesday at 10 a.m. on Talking Animals. Thanks so much for listening. Take care.